three, two, one, zero, zero, and liftoff. This is Nuclear Knowledge. Production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies. Welcome to another exciting episode of Nuclear Knowledge, a weekly show of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies, where we are advancing peace, promoting stability, and helping you to think deterrence. I'm your host, Wally Clark, and today's show is a brief introduction into the categories of nuclear weapons effects and a brief introduction into electromagnetic pulse or EMP. The views today are my own. Let's begin the discussion on survivability to nuclear weapons effects. When I say begin, I'm not kidding. You see, before we can discuss survivability to effects, we need to understand the many and various effects. We also need to understand the limitations inherent to hardening our systems, how hardening survivability to one effect may weaken survivability elsewhere and how a combination of effects limits survivability. How many effects are there from a nuclear detonation, you ask? Well, many. One day while working for the United States Air Force Nuclear Weapons Center, I squeezed nuclear weapons effects into an acronym for ease of remembering. That acronym is BOASTERD. Be careful how you pronounce that, which stands for blast, overpressure, shock, thermal, electromagnetics, radiation, and dust. These are the seven NWE effect categories. Several have subcategories, especially electromagnetics, radiation, and dust. For example, at a minimum, EM effects include EMP, static discharge, EM interference, EM compatibility breakground, and hazards to electromagnetic radiation. Several of these EM effects also have subcategories. EMP's subcategories are less than imaginatively called E1, E2, and E3. Then both E2 and E3 have two subcategories each. As I've said before, there are many nuclear weapons effects. I will not attempt to discuss all the nuclear weapons effects here today. No one wants to listen to me drone on for hours, and I may not have the expertise. So I'll start with exploring just one sub-effect. And anyone who knows me won't be surprised that that effect will be EMP. If allowed in later broadcasts, I'll discuss other effects. As I delve into technical discussions, I'd like you to know of two valuable resources, the DITRA Nuclear Strategy Forum Myths and Realities of EMP, published in July 2020, and High Altitude Electromagnetic Pulse Effects and Protection, published by the Air Force Civil Engineer Center in August 2020. Now, from DITRA, electrical engineer Donald Wilson explained that EMP, quote, effects begin at the nuclear burst as propagated electromagnetic fields. Then, as the fields impinge on objects, any metal can be considered an antenna that will couple with the EMP fields causing currents and voltages. Close quote. Therefore, EMPs have a potential to negatively infect technology systems on the Earth, in the atmosphere, and in space. A high altitude EMP or hemp 
is an EMP that occurs when a nuclear device is detonated at greater than approximately 40 kilometers altitude, or 25 miles, or 131,000 feet. A geomagnetic disturbance, a GMD, is a natural EMP driven by a temporary disturbance of Earth's magnetic field resulting from interactions with solar mass ejections. Both HEMPs and GMDs can affect large geographic areas. The first EMP subcategory is the early time E1 pulse. It occurs in just tens of nanoseconds with amplitudes of up to tens of thousands of volts per meter. It is the most militarily significant effect of hemp. E1 occurs when the gamma rays from a nuclear detonation strip electrons from their atoms in the atmosphere, causing the electrons to move downward at extremely high speeds. These electrons are affected by the Earth's magnetic field, so they are deflected instead of shooting directly down to the, in a straight line to the ground. This then causes an extremely brief but very powerful burst of energy. E1 produces damage by causing electrical breakdown voltages to be exceeded. It can disrupt, damage, or destroy electronics. The intermediate time E2 pulse lasts from one microsecond to one second with amplitudes of tens to hundreds of volts per meter, considerably less than E1. E2 is the result of scattered gamma rays, that's the sub-subcategory E2A, and inelastic gamma rays created from the detonation's neutrons, that's E2B. Effects are similar to lightning strikes, and thus it's considered the easiest to protect against in most electric and electronic systems where that are lightning hardened. However, when E2 follows E1 closely, E2 can further disrupt, damage, or destroy electronic systems already weakened by the E1 pulse. The late time E3 pulse lasts from one to hundreds of seconds with amplitudes of merely tens to hundredths of a volt. E3 is created from the movement and interaction of the ionized bomb debris, I call that E3A, and atmospheric heave, E3B. E3 is known as magnetohydrodynamic EMP when the event occurs at much higher altitudes than 40 kilometers. E3 is generally thought by electrical engineers in the civilian sector to cause the most damage to electrical items. E3 behaves in a quasi-direct current manner, overloading circuits designed only to hold a specific level of alternating current electrical load. It can cause heating effects inside of transformers and melt the interior coils. It creates long-term electrical surges in devices and appliances connected to long electrical line circuits. It damages sensitive electronic and electrical equipment and circuit boards. So, E1 is tens of nanosecond long pulse that can sneak into electronics, especially modern electronics, found in aircraft, cell phone, controls, antenna towers, homes, offices, and computers to upset surge protectors, grounding wires, and lightning rods. This initial high voltage burst may destroy devices used to protect components. 
Some military and associated systems may be hardened. Others may have certain intrinsic hardness due to design requirements. Some military equipment may be disrupted or even uh, upset, but not necessarily permanently damaged. An upset system or electronic equipment may be reset and restored to operation, depending on procedures, but there is a question if sufficient time would be available to do so in a modern military engagement. E2 then hits in the milliseconds to seconds time frame, possibly further upsetting, damaging, or destroying items that were initially affected by the E1 pulse. Finally comes the one to hundreds of seconds long E3 that can damage electrical systems like multi-hundreds of kilovolt electrical transmission lines, electric substations, and transformers. E3 poses a long-term damage threat to large electrical circuits and long lines of electrical wires. The continuous U.S. power grid has over 120,000 miles of wire. E3 acts like a geomagnetic disturbance and lasts for hundreds of seconds. Even at their low amplitude as compared to E1, the electric field associated with E3 is much higher than that of naturally occurring GMD. Between the three EMP sub-effects, the modern military and civilian structures and infrastructure are at risk. And on that cherry note, I'll stop for now, hoping to return to discuss other effects and hardening in the near future. Thank you for listening to today's Nuclear Knowledge Show. I hope you learned something new and valuable about deterrence. Nuclear Knowledge is a production of NIDS, a 5013C organization dependent on donations to provide this podcast. Every donation helps this and many other deterrence-related activities that are happening and helps to bring about awareness of the peacekeeping value of U.S. strength in our national deterrence. This podcast produced weekly and each episode is released on Monday. If you enjoy this show, check out our other podcasts, Nuclear View. You can catch it in all our broadcasts at thinkdeterrence.com. I thank our producer, Kimberly Charrington, our sponsors, and all the fantastic members of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies making this podcast possible. A production of the National Institute for Deterrence Studies.